into the Bonanza after party for this week. Happy to have you alongside me. It's Nicholas Hodel. Nick Keneally is alongside me. One of the final after parties we'll have this year because bracket season content will soon take over and you will have plenty of content to enjoy when that time comes. But again, three main topics you want to discuss on this Wednesday morning show. We will start out with the Kentucky Wildcats. For the big road game coming up tonight at Florida. A huge, huge week for them. You had them as your team of the week on the main Sunday show. We discussed a little bit about that game against Tennessee. Uh, from the Tennessee side, I think we'll talk about it more from the Kentucky side here right now. Uh, and, of course, before that, they got a big road win at Mississippi State. In a game that was bubble team versus bubble team. Kentucky had to have it, and they got it. Uh, and in that Tennessee game, um, didn't have a chance too much to discuss uh, the Kentucky side of it. Uh, Oscar Shebley did his thing as per usual. Not a double-double night from him, but 16.7 rebounds. Had did a really good job getting to the free throw line, getting the job done there. But then also we had two freshmen, Cason Wallace, who has been really good, uh, kind of playing more of that bigger role. To support Shibley, Kentucky this year not putting it all on Shibley, which at times has really cost this Kentucky Wildcat team. But Wallace did a really good job of 16 points, 6 boards, 6 assists, only 3 turnovers. And also another freshman, Chris Livingston, who ended up getting the Kempom MVP on with a double-double of 12 points, 10 boards. And then also Jacob Toppin with 11 and Tony O'Reilly with 8 Really good team effort. Uh, but I, to get to this game in particular, I want to focus on Wallace and Livingston. When this team's not putting it all on Shibuya, and we're making it clear that Shibuya is not that ultra-dominant force as a player like a Static Edie is this year for Purdue, you have to have other players bring in good performances. And that's what Wallace and Livingston both did with this particular game. Just those two players alone... What is their level of importance to the Kentucky team and how they operate? Oh, extremely important. I mean, the scoring performance that they put on against Tennessee is exactly what you need from them night in, night out um, for them to make that, that, that increase in skill that they really needed to have. I mean, um, they add so much to that offense when you're able to take a little bit of that load off a of Seaway. Of course, um, he, he gave you what you need. Um, Seaway going to the line 11 times, making 10 of those free throws. That is the thing that you kind of started to expect out of him. Um, but you can't just have it from him. And, you know, Livingston with 12 of his own points, going four for four for five. Uh, Cason Wallace going six, uh, having 16 points, um, going six for 14. Those kind of performances is what you, um, that, that's so key for opening up their offense. And then you, of course, you have Jacob Toppin, um, you have Antonio Reeves who can give you a you know double digit nights, um, but it's really up to that sort of big three of Wallace, Seabway, and, and Livingston. And this is truly crucial because they don't operate like a deep team. I mean, they really run six deep at times. I mean, they went eight deep, but even that that wasn't really an eight deep because Lance Ware and uh, Damian Collins didn't play any more than ten minutes. Ware nine, Collins four. So you're essentially running six deep. And your six man's only playing 13 minutes. Wallace played 39. Livingston played 36. Toplin and Shibway both played 34. Reeves played 29. I mean, you're asking a lot out of your core five guys. This is a completely different team than 
teamed in the old where you'd platoon, or you'd platoon a very deep team. You don't have that. And you have to have all five guys putting in really good performances. And every single four, I should say, Wallace, Lewis, and Toppin, and Sheepley had offensive ratings over 100 within the Kempom system. That's what you have to have with a, with a system like this that doesn't go very deep. And they got it within this particular game. Really destroyed Tennessee within that second half. Or first half, I should say, it was able to cruise in the second half. And that, that was really half the battle right there. Gives Kentucky another quad one win when they desperately needed. Well, that's going to stay quarter one, which is also very, very crucial. And I guess before we go any further with the resume, with Oscar Sheepway, Someone like him, defending National Player of the Year, is not going to win it this year. Uh, but we've talked about the freshman. Oscar Sheepway, Nick, still plays a key part of the system. Oh, 100%. Um, I mean, just, you look at Livingston and Wallace's role, um, and they add a lot, but you can't have those kinds of roles without what Seaway brings to your team every single night, that inside presence, uh, whether it be with his scoring or his rebounding. I mean, he just brings so much to this Kentucky team. Um, and it's it's evident when he's off the floor, really, um, how much the system is really built around him. You can't have that sort of, um, you know, kind of perimeter-focused uh, support cast without Seaway grabbing all of that attention. I mean, and it, it's for a good reason. I mean, he's extremely efficient with the ball in his hands under the rim, um, and you end up seeing him get getting, you know, hacked and sent to the free throw line a lot because of it. Um, and it's really something that defensive ha defenses have, have to account for, um, which is, you know, a big, that's a big load of their defense, of their, their scouting, their game plan is limiting T-Way. Yeah, it's kind of the opposite of what Purdue does. They rely heavily on Edie, getting in the ball inside to him, and at the freshman guards uh, within that backcourt, if they contribute incredibly well, they're almost unbeatable. Kentucky is, they're not relying on Sheepway so much, so they absolutely have to have support. If they don't have support around Sheepway, they're done. They're cooked. And in a lot of games this year, it's been exactly that. But they got the support in this particular situation, and I think that was a huge one uh, for them to get. They have, going into the week, three Quadrant 1 wins. Uh, three Quadrant 1 games left, I should say. Pardon me, four Quadrant 1 wins. Even better. Um, and a Q3 left against Vanderbilt, 33rd in the net. They're only rising into teams' projected fields. What, what do you think that Kentucky needs to do? I mean, could it just be the bare minimum to get in? Is that really what we're talking about here? Where Kentucky, or the Wildcats can toe the line of being in, being out, and eventually get the benefit of the doubt? I mean, I think it takes some great analytical performances here. Of course, um, it's kind of pretty much laid out. Of course, you have to be Vanderbilt. That's that's that goes without saying. Um, and then out of those three other quadrant one, quadrant one games, it's can they prove um, to the net? Can they prove to Ken Palm that they deserve to to go up in ranks? Right now, they're they're thirty third in the net, uh, which is a very very solid position. Um, but can they get more comfortable? Can they get more of a comfortable positioning here? Um, of course, it a lot of it goes down to their last game of the season, going into um, a really tough environment in Arkansas. Um, and then, you know, you have your game in Florida, you have your game hosting Auburn. It's Can you take two of those three Quadrant 1 games? Can you prove to the analytics in this very, very late season scenario 
what this team can do. Yeah, and again, the two wins they got this past week, both of them within the first quadrant, they essentially doubled their quadrant one win total, which was so it's just so huge to have. And if they can beat Florida and Auburn particularly very well, you would almost have the conversation of this Wildcat team is peaking, be very, very careful. And I kind of think they're starting to trend in the right direction. I wouldn't say they're peaking quite yet. I think they're getting some good performances, uh, but it's not consistent enough. But if they can find a consistency with Florida, uh, with Auburn uh, this week, uh, that variable game, that must-win game on the 1st of March, you could be talking about a situation where you would start to have that conversation of Kentucky peaking, whether or not they can cause chaos in the NCAA tournament. I don't think they're quite there yet. What do you think? I, I don't know if they've, to, to your point where I don't know if they've reached their peak yet. Um, I still think that they're obviously trying to still figure out their, their system and worked very well against Tennessee. I, I don't know if this is the best Kentucky team we'll, we'll see, but I also don't know if, you know, if they can sustain this. I don't know if this is a team that necessarily succeeds in March. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's an interesting formula with we're relying on freshmen in addition to what you have in the senior core, uh, really the, the core being Oscar Shibuy, Uh And that's definitely something where it's going to be troublesome. And I certainly think that they could find some issues uh, with that come March. Let's move on over into the Big 12 Conference. We talked a lot of Texas Tech being a team with some opportunity, but within the grand scheme of things, both them and West Virginia, uh, when you look at it entering the week, uh, of course, late Sunday night, West Virginia pretty in, not quite safe yet, nowhere near it, actually. Uh, that's the final 10 seed in the bracket matrix. Uh, meanwhile, you have the Texas Tech team who is only starting to get off the ground within the bubble conversation. And we really talk about Texas Tech a lot now because what they've done uh, within the Big 12 Conference, where they started 0-8. And, and remember, this is the team that had a pretty shaky non-conference resume. So they did have a lot to back themselves up on. It was a 10-2 start, yes, but it was really shaky. The teams they were beating weren't very good. You know, single-digit home wins against some shaky teams and and again, Eastern Washington, not exactly shaky, but a mid-major team regardless. And the two quality games they got within Kempom's eyes, they lost to Quaid and lost to Ohio State and Maui. And then you get that ONA start, really concerning. But since that ONA start, since they went 10-10 and overall, they have won five of their next seven. Uh, the game went at LSU was kind of the, the catapult, then they beat Ohio State at home. Um, not so good at Baylor, gave Oklahoma State a lot of trouble on the road, but then three consecutive wins, home against Kansas State, home against Texas, at West Virginia. And what it has done for Texas Tech, as I mentioned on Sunday, within a span of eight days, it's taken them up 21 spots in the net to 54th. They are 4-9 and nine in that first quadrant now. And all four of those wins have come within the last month. And they have three more quad one opportunities at Oklahoma, home against TCU, at Kansas, before a Q2 game against Oklahoma State. They're still searching for their first Q2 win. Meanwhile, West Virginia has kind of been on the downturn. They're 15-12 and 12 overall. They've lost their last three games. 
and they enter a by the time this comes out, they've already played their home game against Oklahoma State, and they're at Kansas and Iowa State, home against Kansas State to wrap things up. West Virginia, a lot more safe because of the way they got a road win against Pittsburgh way back on November 11. A neutral site dominating win against Florida, and then also a home win against a UAB team who ranks pretty solid within the analytical scheme of things. And you look at the grand scheme of what Virginia Tech has put together on uh, Sunday night, uh, 32nd in the net. They're 5-11 and 11 in that first quadrant. That's a really shaky record. That's not one that the selection committee typically likes to see. But they're still working on that game against Oklahoma State. They've already been played in the less of the schedule. It's quadrant one opportunities. Really for each of these teams, Nick, just where do you see these teams as far as where they're at and really particularly for Texas Tech, what they need to do uh, to try and find their way into the NCAA tournament, though they may be a long shot right now. Well, in terms of Texas Tech, I really think it's it's taking advantage of these opportunities and taking advantage of the momentum that you have. You're coming off three in a row Quadrant 1 wins. You have three more until you have your season finale um, at home against Oklahoma State. That's a Quadrant 2 game. Obviously still important as they don't have a Quadrant 2 win yet this season as they're 0-3 in that. Um, but I think you have to really take advantage of the momentum that you have. Kansas State and Texas, those are two teams that you just beat. Those, those are two of the best teams in the country. And then also that game against in West Virginia. You're on maybe you're, you're obviously your best tear so far of the season in a, in a very rocky season. Can you capitalize on that? And I say you can have you have to use this game in Oklahoma to kind of help catapult you into that very tough stretch where you have TCU and Kansas within three days. Yeah, right. It, those those are two of the best. Yeah, teams. and they cut you it cuts you in a little bit. That game Oklahoma already been played, so you'll you'll know the result by then for our viewers out there. Uh, but I mean, like you said, I mean, if they can't use that, I mean, this is the team that's still four and ten in the conference, mm -hmm. and I know the committee would not be comfortable taking a team that's, you know, six and twelve in a conference. I know the public would really not be comfortable with that. But again, these are still Q and opportunities, and it's not like a six and eleven quadrant record would be horrible. You know, it's it's a weird situation, and I find the committee has been very challenged in recent years as to how to treat teams like this who. Don't have a bad loss. They've been a lot of bad games. But they don't have a bad loss at all. They've, they're, they're flawless in Q4, flawless in Q3, haven't done well in Q2 games, and then they play a, a, a load of these Q1 games that are majority of their schedule. I mean, the selection committee has had a really hard time figuring it out. But I think what's helping Texas Tech is, you know, despite their not a conference in the schedule being really bad, that net jump when you take when you get these quality wins, boy, they are jumping in the net. I mean, just. Just a week and a half ago, this team was probably a 5C in the NIT. If that, if that, they have risen, they have pretty much risen above 12 teams within the last week and a half to get to where a, a point where people are probably staying there either a 2 or a 3 in the NIT. Essentially, anywhere between the 8th and the 10th or 11th team out of the tournament. That should be applauded right now as an accomplishment. With that being said, you have a lot of work to go. And how about West Virginia for you? Where do you see them? What do, what do you see them needing to do? For them, they're in kind of more of a difficult position. Obviously, they, they started off um, better. I mean, they also had a slow start to the conference schedule as well. But they're coming off of three losses, whereas Texas Tech is coming off three, three wins. They lost 
on the road against Texas, a tough game, of course. They lost on the road against Baylor, another tough game. And then they lost at home against Texas Tech, who we were just talking about. I think that game in specific really puts them in a tough position because obviously Texas Tech has risen in the net. They're 54th now. Um, but that game might be kind of a, a, a bad sign. Of course, you know, you lost the games that you kind of expected them to lo lose. But this is a, a team that analytically West Virginia is ranked so much higher than against Texas Tech. And now you're looking at the four games you have left this season where you go into Oklahoma State. Then you have Kansas Iowa State and Kansas State. Those are honestly the last three games of their season. I don't expect them to win. I, I think they're lucky if they escape going two and two. I expect them to go one and three because honestly they should beat Oklahoma State, which by the time this episode airs will have already happened on Monday night. I expect them to win that. If they come out of here two and two, I still don't think that they get an at-large bid here. I think that it will take some very some heroics honestly you have to beat you have to beat Kansas State or you have to beat Iowa State or you have to beat Kansas and the, it's not likely you beat any of those three teams their best opportunity is their home game their season finale at home against Kansas State because everyone knows Kansas is such a tough tough environment to go into that's their game that they have this coming Saturday and Iowa State as well those are two very, very tough atmospheres to go into. Yeah, I see two must-win games in the schedule for West Virginia. That Q2 game that will be played already, by the time this airs, it's published against Oklahoma State, make sure you get to 4-1 in that second quadrant to build something on. You can beat a good majority of those Q2 opportunities and the whole game against Kansas State. If West Virginia loses all three of those Q1 opportunities, they go to 5-14 and 14 in the first quadrant. That will not be enough. Not even show them the Q1 record. They would be 16 and 15. How often do you see a team two games above 500, one game above 500, if West Virginia goes one and one in the Big 12 tournament, get in? You hardly ever see it happen, particularly at one game above 500. You need to find a way to just at the very minimum level out. That would put you at 17 and 14. You would still have to win a Big 12 tournament game. Because, you're because again, 17 and 15, you're really having to rely on your analytics and your non-conference resume, which is a lot better than Texas Tech, uh, but it's still not the greatest. I mean, two Q2s and a Q1 is kind of what you're basing that on, off of. It's a little stronger, but not by a lot. Uh, so it's something that you really got to take into consideration, but not even just the Q1 record or anything else. It's that overall record that really scares me with a team like West Virginia. And then you have to go into the Big 12 tournament 17 and 14 or better. And if you can't do that, you're putting, a, you're putting it on yourself to make a run in Kansas City at the Big 12 tournament. That's going to be really, really hard to do. And so... I mean, you, you have to find a way to win that game against Kansas State. It's a must-win game. And then, I mean, and then these two road environments, I mean, you're talking about Allen Fieldhouse and Hilton Coliseum. You're talking about Allen Fieldhouse magic and Hilton magic. <laughs> Good freaking luck, especially within three days of each other. I mean, that's going to be hard for anybody. That's going to be hard for Texans. 
That's going to be hard for Baylor, another mind West Virginia at this point in the year where you're putting so much pressure on yourself. Uh, and then real quickly, uh, the final thing I'll get to just real quickly, I don't think it's going to be plausible for the Big Show to get nine bids in this tournament, but do you think the conference deserves 90% of the league in the tournament? Because that would be absolutely unprecedented to see 90% of a league get in. I mean... You really have to take it by a case-by-case -case basis here. Obviously, I do think that Texas Tech will, how I see this season ending, I think Texas Tech um, will close it out pretty well and be deserving of that eighth bid. I, In my opinion, it just goes, um, like we mentioned before, how does West Virginia close it out? If if they finish the season out well, you know, if, if they win a majority of those games, then I 100% believe that both of these teams deserve a bid and that the Big 12 gets nine bids. I think that, of course, Texas Tech might have a choke job, completely lose all their momentum, and then West Virginia takes advantage of that and gets the eighth bid. But I really think that I don't, I don't see that to be likely. I think it's up to West Virginia to close out well for them to get their ninth bid. Yeah, but they really need to. I mean, I think it's going to be either one. Uh, an either-or kind of situation. Uh, I, I cannot see the possibility of things getting too crazy there within that particular thing. Uh, finally, on this after party, I want to talk about Florida Atlantic. Uh, they took a really bad, not a really bad loss, but they took a loss, which in College USA is never ideal. At Middle Tennessee this past Thursday, they go into a home game tomorrow against UTSA, they have two Q4s and two Q3s left on their schedule. And I want to draw back to the Torvik simulations I talked about solo uh, in the after party two weeks ago, the last time we had an after party show. Um, at that particular point, um, they were very safe, very secure. And if they had one out, they were pretty much a near lock, 98%. That got dicey when you added in the Q2 loss. That, with the rest of them wins, they were still at around 94%. If you added in the Q, AQ3 loss, which, which I attested the game at Louisiana Tech, though it's certainly possible they can lose at Rice as well, but I took them, that turned under around 93%. And then if they got another one, you're really getting dicey. I can run those simulations again, uh, really to compare, but big picture, FAU going into Sunday, the Sunday update in the bracket matrix was a the second 10 seed. They went down tremendously because of one loss. They are still really good analytically. 40th in Kempom. They're still in that top 25 in the net. Goss of Sunday night. But it really is now down to a situation where FAU, their margin for error is quickly uh, becoming nothing, really, if you look at it from the grand scheme of things. And it's not only that, but they're also having to really fight it out for their life for a Conference USA regular season championship, uh, as we talked about uh, on Sunday. Uh, but, I mean, that's kind of the big thing for me. I mean, really, just for you, um, before I start to run some simulations to get a good idea for this, what do you think their biggest worry should be? Getting, trying to build their way up and getting that at-large bid or just focus on the title right now? I think they need to focus on the title right now. Um, whatever North Texas does is completely out of their control. They don't have any more games against them 
um, for the remainder of the season. They just have to focus on winning these next four games, which you have to. Of course, your next two, um, which are hosting UTSA, UTEP, those are, you know, th those are games they're going to win. Those are Quadrant 4 games. Yeah. Quadrant 3, you're 8-0 in right now. You're going into Rice and into Louisiana Tech. These are the two games that you have to prep for. You might think, oh, they've been doing great in Quadrant 3 games. They, they have to. They have to worry. They have to put in the, the preparation work. They have to do extra work for these games. If you can come out with a regular season championship, get that momentum going for the conference tournament, that means the absolute world for FAU. What North Texas does with the remaining, what, the remaining three games against Charlotte, MTSU, and Western Kentucky, that's up to them. That's a completely up to them. What they do, how they end up in the, in the standings of this conference has no effect on Florida Atlantic. They, they need to t have tunnel vision right now. That's what they need to do. They can't worry about the, the standings, the placements of other teams of where UAB falls or where they need to focus on winning these next four games and focusing on nothing else. I think they're intertwined. I think they're really intertwined to where you get the tunnel vision, you worry about the Conference USA Championship, but if you slip up and you lose that, you're in deep, deep trouble. The Torvik update on this Sunday night. Now, we run the Torvik simulations, doesn't really take into account what other teams do the rest of the way. So, you, so And so sometimes the Torvik numbers can be kind of off. Like I mentioned, second tends to get in the matrix. FAU is about the 15th in on an at-large basis. Their percentage of at-large is 69%. To put that within comparison, the final team that would be in um, Utah State is around 39%. So let's, let's keep that into perspective there. They're still 30% up on that last team in. Let's insert, another one, this is the TeamCast feature on bartorbic.com. This is a really, really good tool. Let's insert the wins the rest of the way. This is what I think they have to do. I don't think they have any room for error. One slip up and it's over. Over for me. The percentage for FAU only goes up 10% to around 80%, not quite there for the third 10. And again, this doesn't really take into account what other teams do the rest of the way. This is only FAU. So the quality wins and other teams that get around them, that has nothing to do with this simulation. And it's sort of kind of why the numbers were really high, and now we're talking about really low numbers. Let's add a Q3 road loss, because it's really hard to win on the road. Really hard. Um, I will be consistent from the simulations from two weeks ago and use the Louisiana Tech game to end the regular season. And let's see if this pops up. The percentage goes only down 3%. I guarantee you, though, that's not reality. That's not reality. A Q3 loss on the road likely takes them out. And I say that because of you don't have a lot of Q1 games. You're 2-1 two and one there. Congratulations. That's really good. And their wins, by the way, at North Texas, you, that, that's a big one there. They have the head-to-head -head if they need it. Uh, to clinch the one seed in the regular season championship, though really that's not the concern of the committee at all, regular season titles. And then at Florida, you want to talk about how big that game is at Florida and, wh and why we talk about these games in November matter when, you know, some of the casual viewers are still months away from joining in our sport, our, our sport we love so dearly. That 
matter big time. They don't get this win. We're not talking about them at all right now. At all. Period. End of story. So that you can do into consideration there. Around 66%. They're still kind of that team that's in a decent spot, but they're not great. I think it's a lot worse than that. I think they would be directly in the bubble, if not out. The second Q3 load loss, and the internet went out. That's fantastic. Um, but I could only imagine it gets so much worse. I mean, I can only imagine it gets so, so much worse. So you're talking about a team that I think it's an intertwining focus, you know? And I think the way this should be handled is, yes, you have an opportunity at the tournament. And yes, you want to dream big. I mean, this, I mean, this is for Atlantic we're talking about here. This would be unprecedented stuff for a program that historically has done nothing. Nothing. If they finally get an at-large bid, that would be a miracle for the program. And, and, and it looks like they're on track to do it. But they still have a lot of work to get done. And again, it would be remarkable, truly transcending. And quite frankly, that would put FAU's coach directly in the carousel. Some power conference team would almost be forced to pick him up just based on what the job he's done at Florida Atlantic University. That's not a big gym. That is not a big gym. I don't know off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure GCU's gym, about 15 minutes down the road from where we are, the Cronkies was probably a bit bigger. I mean, that's what, that's what we're talking about here. Um, so you get down to the logistics of it. What's it going to take? It's going to take winning out, and especially this week. If they lose a Q4 home game, they are finished. As a mid-major, you cannot take a Q4. Because I guarantee you, this committee, I guarantee you, will take a power conference team that's a lot lower in the net, that has more quality wins, has a tough face of schedule, they will gladly take them over FAU if it comes down to it. If it comes down to it in the bubble where it's first team out, last team in, if there's that Q4 home loss, you have to force the committee to put you in as a mid-major. You have to leave them no choice but to do it. I'm not saying the committee takes names into account, but that's the kind of thing we're talking about here. It's very hypothetical conversation. And so you have to get the job done. And I did get this to load. That percentage will go down to around 50%. It's probably about 30% lower than that in reality. And so you have to, have to win out. If not, it's another unfortunate story that goes by the, by the, that goes to the wayside because of just two losses. Charleston is probably learning that the hard way. They probably will. And if F3 is not careful, I'm sorry, but you'll be next. I'm sorry, but I mean, that's just the way it works. So that's going to wrap things up for this edition of the Bonanza After Party on Sunday. Back into the Austin Radio Studio, we will have tangible brackets in our hands for the first time. That's exciting. <laughs> it goes without saying. Uh, and we'll be talking a little bit about that in addition to some of the power conference action. And also that Gonzaga St. Mary's game on Saturday. We'll be talking a lot about that uh, as well. So, again, for Nick Keneally, I've been Nicholas Hodel. Have a very good rest of your week. We'll catch you on Sunday Night Live on BlazeRadioOnline.com.